Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Joining me today is Managing Director of Asprey Glasgow West, John Strange. Morning, John. Morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Super duper, thanks. Great. Well, firstly, can you tell our listeners who Asprey are and what they do? Good question. Um, Asprey Glasgow West, we are a buildings insurance claims management company, um, which is easy for me to say. Uh, Ostensibly, what we do is help homeowners policyholders when they need to make uh, an insurance claim for damage to their building, whether that be residential or commercial, whether that be a fire, an escape of water, a flood, criminal damage, whatever. Um, We take the hassle away from managing the day-to-day elements of the insurance claim. And that's pretty much what we do. Okay, so before we go into detail about the kind of exact services, just right. on a kind of deeper level, tell us a bit about your background and what led you to become a franchisee of Asprey. So background-wise, um, I started off in Buy to Let mm-hmm. a number of years ago now and quite enjoyed it. So bought a few, rented them out, developed them, and then I started buying and selling uh, and built up quite a... It's all in Glasgow. This is all Glasgow Mm -hmm. and the surrounding areas, yeah. Um, Built up quite a decent bank of contacts through through doing that. And then eventually the phone started to go and people would start asking me for help for all sorts of things. So that would be landlords who knew me saying, oh, this tenant's moved out and I need to do this. What do you think? What's the best price for that? How would I do this? How would I do that? So I started helping them out with advice on things like that. And then one day a guy phoned me and said, oh, I've got 25 properties and I'm pulling my hair out, what's left of it? Can you help me try and manage the maintenance side of that? So I started helping him out with, with that. Um, and then one day I, I sort of stumbled across at the Asprey business. Uh, I already had a decent background in developing and maintenance and looking after properties. I'd, my knowledge of the construction industry was quite good at the time. And it just looked like a phenomenal opportunity, uh, ultimately to help people in their hour of need. Sounds great, uh, but to put it into practice was was even better. So that's how I, I came across the Asprey business. Great. Well, look, tell us about the journey then from starting your franchise to where it is now. So the journey, the original journey was in the car down to Blackburn to sign the franchise agreement, um, <laughs> which was an interesting journey on my own uh, on the 9th of June, twenty. 16. Yeah, I remember that because it's my twin daughter's birthday. Oh, right, okay. So a double celebration that day. Yep. Uh, so started off on my own, took the franchise on. Luckily I had experience in the building industry, the construction industry, maintenance, repairs, etc. So I had lots of contacts and when I started telling people what I was now doing and how I could help those that needed the help when making a claim, it sort of snowballed very quickly and the business began to grow quite quickly. So from that sunny day in June 2016 to today, I've now got five staff and an office in Glasgow City Centre, and we do hundreds of, of, of insurance claims a Gosh. year. So it's gone sort of yeah. 
up the way, shall we say. So obviously a lot of that prior experience, you know, in your buy-to-let mm. investment, in fact, would you credit most of that, you know, towards the success of yeah, I would say so. I think, franchise? I think experience in any any field counts mm-hmm. for, for so much. So the fact that I had that solid foundation and I understood how buildings worked and yeah. I understood that, you know, if a building's this age or that age, it's generally going to be constructed in a specific way. So, yeah, the, 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 the buy-to-let um, experience, I'll <laughs> say, the, the ups and downs, the disasters, et cetera, uh-huh. helped give me a good foundation for getting involved in, in the insurance reinstatement world. Okay, so then who are your main clientele and what types of claims specifically do you deal with? So, main clientele, well, really, <laughs> anyone who owns a, a property yeah. is, 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 a, a, is a potential client mm-hmm. of ours. We have a huge amount of repeat business. Um, I helped one family out uh, in the, 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 the south of Glasgow a number of years ago, and I think I've now done over a dozen claims for members of their family or extended family or friends of friends or next door neighbour or someone at the golf club or whatnot. So the word of mouth uh, recommendation, it carries a huge amount of weight in what we do. Uh, One of the largest client base uh, that we have, which very interestingly leads to, you know, one of the reasons why we're we're here as well, Mm -hmm. is letting agents. So letting agents have as you know, a large bank of properties that they look after. And the service they offer to their landlords, landladies, is to look after the property for them. So what do they do when the boiler bursts and floods the place? Panic, generally, is what they do. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they can call on us to, to take care of all that hassle for them, and it means that the landlord, landlady themselves can relax and take it easy a little bit. So yeah, letting agents are one of our big clients. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very stressful mm-hmm. process. If you don't know what you're doing, which respectfully not a lot of people do, mm-hmm. um, some people can. Some people mm-hmm. can can run smoothly with an insurance claim on their own and get the insurance company involved and get quotes and put everything together themselves. But I would say 99% of the time people don't want to have to do that. No. It is a, and it's easy to miss aspects of what might be linked yeah. to what's, what the cause. I mean, can you explain to um, our listeners just the whole the whole claims process, you know, from assessing loss to settlement and then repair of the property? Yeah, so obviously the first, the first thing that has to happen is disaster has to strike, <laughs> um, which is, you know, if, if you just said to me a number of years ago, you'll be in a business where things have to go wrong before they can go right. I would have ran a mile, but um, it, does, it does mean that we can help people when that happens. Yeah. So day, day one, if you like, is the problem has happened, uh, no matter what that is. It doesn't matter what the problem is, fire, flood, impact, whatever. Um, they would contact us. We would come out within 24 hours. We will assess the claim, we'll calm them down generally, talk them through what needs to happen, assist them in fixing the problem first and foremost, because if it's a burst pipe, you have to fix it. So and that, that not a lot of people know that the insurance that you have for a building is there to protect you when something goes wrong, but it's not there to pay for the thing that has gone wrong. People, not a lot of people know mm, that. Mm-hmm. So we, we can assist in getting you a plumber or um, a joiner or whatever it may be to fix the problem. Um, but then what happens after that is you sign a mandate um, we are authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority so we have a pretty robust um, procedure that we have to go through to remain um, safe I suppose is the right word to use on, on that front so you sign a mandate to allow us to act on your behalf we'll contact your insurance company 
we'll let them know we are working on your behalf. Um, we will put a scope of works together for all the damage that we can see. We'll meet the insurance company's appointed loss adjuster if they have one, negotiate a settlement based on the scope of works that we've created, then we'll put in one of our vetted contractors, they'll carry out the reinstatement works, managed of course by my, myself or one of my team. Put your house or property back to its pre-incident condition uh, and then bring you back into your, your home again. It's it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple. It's mm -hmm. far from it, but it does sound simple. But this is at no cost, isn't it, to the policyholder? That's just correct, to, yes. To so, that. um, the only cost to a policyholder homeowner would be their policy excess that they would have to pay, and that varies uh, from £50 to £1,000, mm -hmm. depending on what your insurance company have as your policy excess. Um, but our service providing we manage the entire claim in, in full is of no cost to you. Mm -hmm. uh, the homeowner. Okay, so just at this stage, what's the difference then between a loss assessor and a loss adjuster, and what are the benefits of using Asprey? <laughs> so this is the uh, this is the one question that get uh, gets asked of us all the time. Um, uh, even members of my extended family still refer to me as a loss adjuster, even though I'm not. So, so let me set it straight <laughs> Once here and, and for now. All. Uh, in simple terms, a loss adjuster is appointed by and works for and on behalf of the insurance company. A loss assessor, of which I am, is appointed by the homeowner and works on behalf of the homeowner. Right. That's as, as, as in That's simple terms clear. as I can put it. We're on your side. We will attempt to get the best possible solution for you and put you first. Uh, loss adjusters, they are there to work on behalf of the insurance company. They're there to adjust the loss, so okay. to speak. Now, Asprey, you only work with um, Asprey only work with qualified tradespeople. So, how do you go about kind of selecting your contractors? So that, that that can be a lengthy process as well. Obviously, my background meant that I had a a, a, a bunch of of contacts of of contractors of varying sizes, uh, large and small, but. Um, you know, we're always willing to speak to new contractors. They have to go through quite a robust vet vetting process. So simple things like how long have they been in business? Uh, do they have the relevant insurances? Uh, can we check out some other previous work? Can we speak to some other previous clients? Have they ever done insurance reinstatement work before? You know, there'll be contractors out there potentially listening to this who think they can do insurance work, but if they've never done it before, it's a completely different type of skill because you're not improving something, if you like. You're mm -hmm. not putting a new kitchen in for someone as an improvement to what's already there. You're effectively reinstating what was there beforehand. And in, in older properties, that can be quite tricky at times. So we, we spend quite a bit of time. Um, we visit, you know, myself and my team, we visit the property almost on a daily basis when the reinstatement works are, uh, are going on. We don't have to all the time, but any new contractors that we're bringing on board, if it's their first job with us, if you like, then we're, we're sort of on top of them, making sure they're doing it our way, mm -hmm. because our way is the right way and our way works, so they have to fit into that. Um, mistakes happen, things will go wrong. You know, I'd, I'd be lying if I sat here and said everything was plain sailing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's about how you react to something going wrong that makes you a good contractor. Well, tell us then about some interesting case studies and, and how you've helped your customers then. Oh, 
There's loads. Um, <laughs> That's the best one. I suppose there's um, one that jumps to mind right away is um, quite relevant. So letting agent that, that, that refers um, claims to is when, when they need to phoned me at, I think, half past ten one morning and said, I've got a flat and I think it was just outside Paisley. And the tenants walked to the children to school in the morning. And by the time they walked back from the school, the fire brigade were in the flat. Oh, the kitchen, something had happened to the cooker when they had, when they had left and it, it, it had failed in some form and the entire place had gone up in flames. Oh. So luckily, no one was in the property at the time. But the tenants obviously right away phoned the landlord. The landlord phoned the letting agent. The letting agent phoned me. And within an hour and a half, two hours, I was on site. I'd spoke to the insurance company and I'd also arranged for alternative accommodation for the tenants to move into that afternoon. Um, claim was signed up, dealt with, reinstatement works booked in, loss adjuster appointed, all that kind of stuff, all done relatively quickly. Um, and I suppose had that landlord not known about us or had the letting agent not known about us, they would have spent all day trying to work out what to do. We do this every day. Yeah, We're experts in this. Still and then, yeah, yeah we'd have knocked on. So, How much more time do you think? If, oh, um, it would have taken... They would have had to have put the tenants up in a hotel mm -hmm. at a huge cost, whereas we have relationships with um, alternative accommodation providers that, that we can phone at the last minute and say, this family are on the street, can we can we put them up? And, and our reputation and our relationship with that provider meant that they took our word on the fact that the insurance should yeah. <laughs> cover all the all the costs on that. Because you can't have a you can't have a family out on the street. No. And what do you do? I mean, I, I would throw that question out to anyone listening. What what would you have done in that circumstance? Because mm -hmm. the insurance was through a factoring business, so it took you know, our office was on the phone about three or four hours that day Gosh. just to get the claim properly registered. Um, so you just, um, because obviously you're Asbury, Glasgow West. Yes. But do you cover out with that specific area? Yes, so it is a franchise mm -hmm. that, that, that I own and uh, there are a few of us in Scotland. Um, so we tend to cover, between us all, we'll cover pretty much the whole of Scotland. So yeah, I do claims in Dundee, Edinburgh, Glasgow, uh, Greenock. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been everywhere, mm -hmm. pretty much. So yeah, anywhere That's good within to reason. Know. Okay, so any other case studies? Any other um, situations? I suppose there was another one where again, this is an alternative accommodation one where another fire, believe it or not, where the uh, the house had gone on fire and the family had booked themselves into alternative accommodation before they contacted us. But the in, insurance company was, <laughs> was taking quite a while to, to make their minds up on things and the, 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 the family ran out of money. So, now this is not normal practice, but at the time I looked at it and thought, right, there's a claim on the go here. The insurance company are busy, I get that, I appreciate that, I understand that. But what does this family do? They have nobody. They have nobody to, to help them. It spent, I think, in the region of two or three thousand pounds to help the family stay in a hotel. So I decided at that point in time that I would cover their hotel costs for a week just to keep them sane, mm -hmm. so to speak. So that's an interesting case study yeah. as such. Not normal practice, you know, mm -hmm. we wouldn't normally 
do Very something like that. Service. But it was a personal service. Mm -hmm. I felt I had to. I believed in the owner themselves. The claim was going through the general process. It just it was taking too long for my liking, and we felt we had to step in and and, and help them. Good. Um, but we've well, got lots of we meet. It's a great. It's not a job for me really. It's my business. It's what I do. But we meet some phenomenal people. Um, whether that be homeowners, contractors, letting agents, tenants, etc. You're always meeting the person that owns the property at one of the worst days in their life. So people are kind of on the edge when you meet them. So you have to have that calming approach to things mm -hmm. where it's all right. I can see that we're two feet deep in water. I you might be the first person they I take it yes, out on. I understand that. But don't worry, it's all right. We'll take care of it. Um, and then just people's life. Everyone, everyone's got a, a great life story. You know, you, you yeah. tend to get to know these people because they pour their heart out to you when their emotions are high, and you just have to kind of help them through the yeah. process. You know. Well, COVID obviously was and is um, a challenging time for everyone and all businesses. So tell us then how you were affected and how you overcame the challenges. So yeah, the the big C word. Um, we grew as a business during COVID, believe it or not, and I find that difficult to say sometimes because you hear so many horror stories. I've had friends whose businesses have have been decimated by that, family members, etc. However, um, property damage insurance claims didn't stop during COVID. Now, yes, on the 19th, 20th of March, whenever it was, 2020, when um, our fearless leader told us all to go home that day. We did go home, we closed up the office, everyone went home. Um, we decided at that point in time, we would do a video call, eight o'clock in the morning, a video call at half three in the afternoon, and we would all hold ourselves accountable to each other to make sure we were continuing to deliver the service that we do. I took the decision that I would be the only one who would venture out into the, into the world uh, because we had to, mm -hmm. you know, if someone phoned and said, my, you know, my neighbours flooded me and I, I can't live in this property, I don't know what to do. No, I, I, I couldn't do yeah. it via video call. No. I mean, well, you could, but... And things involving essential repairs could obviously yeah, still so take people, place. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. At the time, you know, I had to carry a letter uh, with me and I made sure I had all my ID on me. And I mean, right at the beginning, you know, it was almost hazmat suit stuff, you know. <laughs> um, you would be in people's houses with gloves, masks, goggles overalls the, the whole lot on just to make sure you were you were safe but they still needed help mm -hmm. so yes covid got in the way of things we had to adapt how our business was running but we we didn't i didn't furlough anyone um didn't need any of that help that great help that was out there for for people because things continued to go wrong i don't even know whether people been at home more well, actually i would have thought <laughs> At the time, I thought, right, people are at home more. Therefore, they'll notice things going wrong quicker. A lot of things go wrong when people are at work or on mm -hmm. holiday or whatnot. But it turned out to be quite the opposite. I think with people using things more, you know... More wear and heating, tear. Yeah, wear and mm -hmm. tear. Heating was under more stress. Um, the, the water pressure was under more stress. The, you know, the, the Scottish Water uh, put an article out during the pandemic to say that the, the demand on water coming into properties was huge during the pandemic. So that's in itself going to cause problems. So COVID, yeah, I mean, it was a pain. 
but we coped, we got on with it, and then we eventually moved back to back to being in the office, and then all the assessors that worked for me, uh, my team were back out in, in properties again with varying levels of PPE on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously, as you say, it's been a challenging time. However, Asprey Glasgow West have just won an impressive award just recently. So, Franchise of the Year. So yes. Tell us about the award. Tell us what it means for the company. Uh, oh, it means a huge amount. It's, so, it's the it's the which uh, franchise, British franchisee of the year. So, it's not just for Scotland. The way the award works is it's a... It's a status you're giving, so I can refer to myself now as as a a winner of the British Franchisee of the Year um, award. It was a it was a big process. I mean, wow! Did they look into every single part of me, the business, the staff, the clients, um, the 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 questions I had to answer, the process I had to go through? They really, you know, they really put me through the ringer, so to speak, to get information from me. And it was a huge, a huge honour, first and foremost, to, to be nominated, never mind to win. Uh, but I, I say it all along and everyone laughs at me when I say it. But it's, yes, it's my face that's on it and yes, it's my name that's on it. But without the team behind me and everyone that works with me, we wouldn't have won it. You know, we are a phenomenally good team together. So the win is for us as well as, as me. Well, very well done. And um, I mean, Aspie are known for their local support, um, for the support of local companies. And during the pandemic, your franchise made an incredible difference to Glasgow clan ice hockey. So, you know, what, what was your involvement there? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, we had been, you know, let's not forget it, this is a business that, that, that I own and run. So we were looking for marketing opportunities not everyone in fact no one really knows about our service it's a very difficult service to to advertise because it's you know hi everyone when when the worst thing happens to you <laughs> think of us you know uh, so we had been looking for sponsorship opportunities to to get the brand out there a little bit more and we went along to the ice hockey one night and i took my wife and my children along and said well what do you what do you think of this and they loved it and we love the ice hockey. So I met up with uh, Jerry McLaughlin, uh, the, the, the sort of commercial business manager at the clan. And we took out some advertising at the time. Uh, we sponsored a player, took a little, what they call a dasher board. So it's a kind of perimeter advertising board. And I just loved the ice hockey. It, it was good to take clients along to, but as a family, we loved going to it as well. And then COVID hit. So ice hockey season stopped, all the clubs shut up shop, the arena closed down, the ice melted, etc, etc. And then, you know, I, I mentioned Jerry McLaughlin there a minute ago, so he contacted me. We'd been keeping in touch anyway. And we were talking about when the hockey would be back. And I'd said, I'd like to do more. I, I, I'm, I love the community. I love the family atmosphere at the ice hockey. So I'd like to give more this time, this next season. Uh, and then out of the blue, he said to me, would you consider off-season title sponsorship? And at first of all, I said, well, what is that? And he said, well, basically you would be the title sponsor of the clan, but we wouldn't be playing any ice hockey. So the business <laughs> brain was going, absolutely not. <laughs> but the, the heart side of, mm. of the decision was thinking, wow, this would be a really good opportunity to 
to, to give back, to give more to the community, to the ice hockey family, to the to the club, in a in a situation that no one wanted to be in, and you know not luckily but fortunately we were in a position where our business, like I mentioned, didn't use furlough etc. We were in a business that was surviving the pandemic, so why not? So I said yes. Uh, before we'd worked out the details. <laughs> uh, and that, that meant that, 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 that they were able to continue to survive as a business. Um, yeah. You know, there was, uh, a couple of members of staff were obviously able to keep their job. Mm-hmm. Um, as, much, as hard as they were all working during a season where you weren't playing hockey, you still had to keep the fans engaged mm-hmm. with everything. So there was various campaigns. We ran a Christmas competition you know, we all dressed up in silly outfits and all that kind of stuff. And, we, you know, we, we gave away lots of prizes over the, the Christmas period during the pandemic. And I think if you ask any of the fans that took part in the competitions, they, they loved it. It was yeah, something, yeah. everybody was bored with COVID yeah. by then. So this gave the fans a chance to get involved in a competition and, and win some pretty money-can't-buy prizes that I was able to work with the clan on. Good. So great. Yeah. And, um, but you sponsor other sports clubs too, in fact, St Mirren? Yes, so St Mirren, again, we had we had done a little bit of advertising with St Mirren a number of years ago, and again, uh, I'll, I'll give a, a mention to Campbell Kennedy, who's the commercial manager at St Mirren. Um, he's been doing that job for, I think, 27 years. Wow. So there is nothing he doesn't know about football, <laughs> St Mirren, or sponsorship. And he's a people person, and that's what I love about him. So he'd said to me, John, we want sponsors who engage with the club and the community. We don't just want people that give us money and then we never see them again. And I think that happens quite a lot yeah. in sport. Mm-hmm. People put money into a club, sponsor it, and, and then disappear. To, yeah. So we decided, well, no, that's not what we do. Again, St Mirren, I'm sure if you ask anyone that knows about St Mirren, it's a family club, it's a community club. It's, a, it's got a huge fan base. They're loyal. So we thought, yeah, why not? Let's do that. So we're on the shorts. We are the official shorts sponsor. That's an easy tongue twister. <laughs> so on, on the St Mirren shorts, you'll see our logo above the, above the St Mirren logo. Um, but we've also got a lot of things in the pipeline with St Mirren. I, again, your kind of money can't buy items for the fans. We're going to be running some competitions in the next few while that the fans can win some specific items associated with the club and that helps the community and it helps around the club but yes as, as, as a business the the ice hockey and the football it's a sponsorship package so it is about getting our, our brand awareness out there mm-hmm. our, our name uh, so that people fans the wider public when they get to that stage where something has gone wrong they can go that, that 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 company that sponsors St Mirren, that's what they do. Yeah, you've had excellent exposure. You've had good mm. exposure, exactly. And it's a, as again, it's a it's a community club, and Jerry from mm-hmm. the clan and Campbell from St Mirren, they're so people focused. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about them. Yeah. And it's them really, uh, over and above the, the 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 name of the club or the name of the sports team. It's those two individuals there that that, that really make the partnership that we've got between them a huge success. Good, but I'm also aware that you're chairman of Glasgow East Alcohol Awareness Project. So, how did you become involved in that, and, and what's you know what are your objectives in that role? Wow. Uh, so, 
the GAP, the Glasgow East Alcohol Awareness Project, is a, a charity that I came across in 2015. So quite a personal story. Um, I, for those who don't know, I, I, I gave up, gave up, stopped drinking alcohol in 2015. It got to the stage where it was taking over my life, really. I had sapped all my confidence. Uh, I, I was just in a horrible place. So I woke up on the 4th of March, 2015, and decided enough was enough. Went to the doctors and said, I'm a West of Scotland male that likes to party. Mm -hmm. uh, I've decided to give up alcohol. Apparently that's not a thing most West of Scotland <laughs> men do. What help is there out there to make sure I'm doing the right thing? Uh, and I said, I don't want to go to like AA or anything. There's anything against AA. I just didn't, I didn't, I, it didn't connect with mm -hmm. me. I said, I just want to know what help there is out there to reassure me I'm doing the right thing. And the doctor said, there's a, there's a person-centered one-to-one counseling service in Glasgow called GAP. Um, I'll refer you to them. And, yeah, okay, fair enough. So they referred me to them, didn't hear anything for about a week. And then I got a phone call and this woman sort of barked down the phone at me about booking an appointment in. I was like, all right, okay. She told me where she was from. So I agreed. And then I drove up to the building that GAP's in. And, and if anyone looks up GAP, gap.org is the website. Uh, my story's on that, but uh, I say in the story, I arrived, which I did. And I looked at the building and thought, nah, I'm, I'm not going in there. Is this it? isn't for me. Because it's old, it's dilapidated, and it's in, 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 a, a, in an area of Glasgow that, that, that's quite deprived. And horribly, I looked at everything and thought, no, no, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, you know, I turned up in a suit. And I thought, this is not, not for me. And then I decided, well, no, wait a minute, John, you said you were taking this seriously. So I went in and best decision I ever made. I sat down with Winnie, who was the counsellor at the time. We spoke about, I hadn't had a drink in three months by then. So I, I was kind of, in my mind, I was well, cured, yeah. I feel like I was over mm -hmm. it. Um, but she listened to me. Um, as you can tell, I like to talk. So she just let me go on and on and on. And she just reassured me that I was doing the right thing. So the counselling process was fortnightly to begin with, then it went to monthly. Uh, and then eventually she said, right, John, I'm sick of listening to you talking. You've, you, you know, I think it's time. You don't need me anymore. So at that point I said to her, is there anything I can do? This has been phenomenally good for me. It's a wonderful service. Can I help in any way? And she said, well, we, we don't really have any professionals on the board. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, you have to be an ex, what they call an ex-service user to be on the board. So it means you have to have gone through the counselling yeah. service to be on the board. Now, at that time, that the board was made up of, um, how can I say this without them all shouting at me next time I see them at the board meeting, uh, older people uh, who had been <laughs> there for a long, coming. long time. And uh, they, um, they, they, were, they were great. They were a great bunch of people, but the board was struggling to, with, with direction. So I went along to the board meeting and yeah, I could see that there were some really passionate people, but they were lacking a little bit of direction and they had nobody that had a business brain. So what was left of my business brain at the time, I thought I'll put into this. So I joined the board, started helping them with some funding and some uh, fundraising activities and whatnot. And then I was on holiday, but three months later, and I got a phone call from Stuart Mackay, who runs GAP, to say, 
well, that's the AGM finished. You've been voted in as the chairman. Is that okay? <laughs> so I looked at my wife and said, apparently I've just been voted the chairman <laughs> of this, uh, of, of GAP. I better say yes. So I did, I said yes. And wow, again, another phenomenal decision. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. It is a fantastic organisation. It takes up a lot more of my time than mm -hmm. I was initially told it would. But five years plus on, I'm still the chairman. Uh, we are fully funded. There's, I think, eight or nine members of staff, all fully funded. We do work in the community. We do work in schools. We do the person-centred counselling. We do CBT counselling. And to top it all off, we, I, managed to secure the charity, the ownership of the building that oh, they're in. So the building was originally not, owned yeah. by... Uh, the church a long mm -hmm. time ago and then the church gifted it to an organisation called Jobs and Business Glasgow which is a, a Glasgow City Council business if you like and as I mentioned at the start it's quite a dilapidated or it looked quite dilapidated yeah. so Jobs and Business Glasgow wanted rid of the building and wanted to move GAP out of it. Now GAP had been there for 25 years, it was their spiritual home, they weren't wanting to go anywhere so you know I put on my boxing gloves so to speak went to the council and fought with them for two years constantly and eventually when they realized who they were dealing with <laughs> they gifted us the building and i think i think i can go on record as saying i think we're the only scottish charity that has been gifted the building that they occupy we didn't get through a community asset transfer we didn't pay for it the building was gifted to us by the council uh, because of the proposal that, yeah. that, that, that I helped put together. So, yeah, That's it's a phenomenal well, organisation and, a, and I, lo I, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's great. So they acted as a huge safety net to you well. They did. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they, they were a, That's a great way of putting mm -hmm. it. They were a huge safety net to me. Mm -hmm. I had already made my mind up that I, was, I wasn't going to drink anymore and I wanted to, I wanted to bring the old me back. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure my, my, my wife and my family would, would, would attest to that when I stopped drinking, the old John came back mm -hmm. eventually and they were just there as that little comfort blanket that, that, that helped me. You know, one of the crazy questions I asked was, why is it every time I turn the telly on they're drinking? And you don't realise until you stop doing something like that, that, yeah, it's just a, it's a natural everyday thing. Yeah. People drink. Don't get so hit up about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't drink, so it's fine. I made a conscious decision to continue to go to the pub, continue to go to nights out, continue to go to parties, I just drive there now mm -hmm. and drive back. So it's you know horrible for taxi drivers because I no longer need them. But um, every save a lot more money. Save a lot more money. Yeah, save a lot more money. Yeah. And um, just one thing I just found out actually by the last minute that you managed to keep oh quiet from me. Yeah. <laughs> Is it true that you were an actor? Uh, yes, I was. Tell long in a previous this. life. So um, when I was thirteen which was quite a while ago now, uh, the producer and director from Taggart, uh, people of a certain vintage out there will remember Taggart, <laughs> uh, came along to the school to hold an audition for a, a part they were casting. And for some reason I got the part. And a couple of weeks later I was involved in, in a huge production of Taggart. This was in the early 90s. Um, a massive production of Taggart. Huge crew, cameras everywhere. And, the original Tiger, you know, trying to remember his name. Uh, Mark McManus played yes, the original Tiger, so it. he was still alive at the time, uh -huh. and, and, and he was Taggart at the time. It was a time when Taggart used to do each, each um, 
season of Taggart was a three episode season so it would be I think it was a Wednesday night Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday uh, and back in those days they used to get 14 and 15 million people watch it each night so I caught the acting bug at 13 I joined Scottish Youth Theatre I joined the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama built up a wee bit of a, an acting career as a, as a young teen did lots of uh, theatre and education tours um, worked with some phenomenal actors uh, in, in the theatre industry uh, and then did quite a lot of BBC, STV, Channel 4 kids programmes and whatnot. And I met my wife oh, at, uh, at an audition, believe it or not. She was working for the BBC at the time and, and I got the part. D don't know if it was anything to do with her or not, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got the part and... She never told you? She well, no, she did, yes, yeah, she did. It. So she was asked by not the... Not saying it wouldn't be in your talents. Her, her job was... That's a very personal story. Her, uh, her job was to, at the time, meet the potential uh, actors <laughs> at reception, bring them up the stairs and get them ready to go in to meet the director and producer for the audition. So... At the end of the audition process, the producer and director asked uh, my wife, "So, which one, which one would would you go for then?" <laughs> and she said, and I quote, "Well, he's not really my type, but, <laughs> but, but all the wee girlies will probably go for that one there." And it was me that she pointed to, and luckily the producer and director said we thought exactly the same. <laughs> Uh, and Sounds like LA casting. Yeah, yeah. So I got the part, and then um, a, a month or so into filming, well, the relationship yeah. developed, and we're married with kids now. What Twenty good years story. later. Oh, so. so you never said what part you played in Tiger? Were you the dead body? No, no. Uh, I was. Uh, I only had eleven lines. Uh, uh, don't ask me to recite any of them because I, I don't know if I can remember them. Uh, we found the evidence that eventually led to the prosecution of the murderer. We were playing football and the ball went into a bin. We went to get the football out of the bin and there was documents and a, and a VHS, if anyone can remember <laughs> what those were. We plugged the VHS in, hoping to see something interesting, and all it was was the, the murder... The murderer disposing of the body, so to speak, eh, all wrapped up in, uh, in stuff. So. Oh, sh Right, that's a good story. It's a great story. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, long time ago, but good story. Well, listen, thank you very much. And we've got the old Ringo parking meter running. So, um... thanks for having me. It was great to be here. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to Let's Talk Channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.